0: Man, I get so encouraged about the City Church. Um, I get the opportunity to meet uh, monthly with Pastor Clayton, um, and it's just been nice to see this momentum that's being built at the City Church, this consistency that you guys have shown over and over again, and I believe it's it's setting you guys up for what God has
1: for you in this new season. All right, well, I love City Church, From and really my experience with it is I've never been to a single service there, but my experience has been through the people, and the people that I know starting with Clayton and Darby that I've known for a long time from the time they were wee little high school students a long long time ago and just awesome godly people that I respect so much and glad to be pastoring alongside of them but like, it's like all these families and people I know I love so much and I've just seen the quality of the leadership and ministry through these relationships I have.
2: You know I've, I've been in this city for many many years and uh, I love that that uh, the city church has a its own personality. It has its own uh, distinct calling uh, to provide a ministry in our city, especially in the downtown area of our city.
3: That's what excites me. You guys want to teach the word in a way that I think uh, people will understand and live. And that's not to say other churches don't do that. Uh, but I, I think the city church teaches the scriptures in a way that is really powerful.
4: There is. Every color, every ethnicity, every culture represented in our church. There's a lot of churches that I've been a part of in my life, and I feel like the City Church is the first church where where I'm actually getting a glimpse of what heaven's going to look like.
5: What really fires me up about City Church is your desire
1: to reach your own community as well as reach around the world. I've always said any church that reaches across the street by its very nature is going to reach around the world.
2: There's an opportunity to rebuild some things that have been lost. And that's what I see happening with the City Church. You, you guys are are taking a spirit into the downtown area that needs to be there, a spirit that says, hey, we're here to serve, we're here to minister, we're here to build up the kingdom of God.
4: I do life with individuals that are in the margins. And when I say in the margins, those are people that God calls us to do life with, with the widow, with the survivor, with the oppressed, with the poor. And so I think when you do life with them on a daily basis, what I've learned is that they have to have access. They have to have access right around the corner. And so by City Church being in downtown and being around individuals that need the access, what an amazing thing for them to walk out their front door, walk out of their job, and know that City Church is right around the corner. Granted, we aren't a building, but we are a people. And when we're down there as the Church of Jesus, the reach that we have in downtown Lubbock is incredible to do life with people in the margins.
0: Man, there's all kinds of opportunity for ministry, there's all kinds of opportunity for outreach and uh, man, I'm, I get so excited about you guys being planted
3: in that downtown area of Loving. When Jesus calls us in Scripture to do things um, it's not half-hearted, um, it's not just a partial commitment, it is, it is an all-in commitment and um, oftentimes when the Lord calls us to do something, it doesn't make sense. And so I just would challenge uh, the city to not measure their commitment based on worldly standards, but when the word says to do something, when there's a challenge in scripture to to to, to go 100%, um, don't question it, uh, do it, and um, and watch the Lord work powerfully in your church, in groups of people, um, and, and I think that's how this city is gonna change. I think Lubbock, Texas needs are going all in with their faith so my
1: encouragement would be just to go all in go all in on this and let uh, let the lord do his work inside of you and just to say look um all of it is yours i mean yes my money but my time my future the things i worry about my children um all of it that i want to submit my whole self to you and it's really the only way to do the christian life Uh, the
2: church is in a place that it's never been before coming out of the COVID season man, now's the time for us to be aggressive. Now's the time for us to step out in faith. Now's the time for us to give what we have for those that don't that don't have and for those that need to find Jesus Christ. And so I encourage the church, go for it, man.
4: And I think so many times we are shy to be radically obedient. And so that would be my encouragement. One, if you've never done that, do it because it's worth it. Two, if you've done that before in your life and I'm talking to myself, like this is time to be radically obedient again. Everyone
5: wants to know what's the purpose of God for our life. Well, I can tell you what that is. It's to
1: pursue and know the call of God on your life with all your heart. Walk that out with a passion and you're going to be walking and living in the purpose of your life we went through something similar to what you guys are doing now a couple of years ago and what I saw across the board with our members is that God went to the deep places in their soul is that it was probably some of the best discipleship we've done in Redeemer's fifteen years. But it, it forced people to really evaluate evaluate priority. And I think that's maybe one of the biggest values of it is that when you start talking money it gets down to what you love, what you prioritize and, and it kinda of calls the question in a in a really powerful way. Each and every person that comes through those doors has
0: a vital role to play at City Church. Not just the pastors, not just the staff, not just the volunteers. The truth is, is that if everybody at City Church would ask the Holy Spirit, God, what are you telling me, and would be obedient to whatever he puts on your heart, then the City Church will go exactly where God wants it to go.
5: A little over four years ago, our church had a defining moment, a little over 100 People stepped out in faith, stepped out in sacrifice, in risk, surrender to launch this church a little over four and a half years ago. And I share that because I believe that today is going to be another defining moment in the life and in the history of our church as we covenant, as we commit together to reorder our lives around God's priorities. And and that's exciting. It's exciting when any person does that. It's exciting when a church does that Together. And what we do in this season is going to believe, I believe it is going to shape our city and the nations for decades to come. For those of you who think of this as your church, like you're a part of the city family, whether you're an actual member here, like officially or, or not, you're going to be asked to fill out this commitment card today if you hadn't already. My, my hope, my prayers over the last month, five weeks, you, you have been praying, you've been talking with your spouse about what the Lord is going to lead you to do, lead your family to do today. We're going to commit ourselves to another defining moment in the life and history of our church. And if you're a guest today or new here, I think you've picked an awesome time to come because you're, you're getting to hear not just what we believe, but you're getting to see people move in faith and sacrifice, put put their money where their mouth is and say, we believe that Jesus is Worthy. We believe that he is worthy of our time, money and resources like he is worthy. And we're not just saying that you're going to see people do that today. So you've come at a really cool time, not not because like you're expected to do anything, but just because you, you get to witness and see what our heart is and what we're about. And you get to see people on board with that mission and with that vision covenant together to turn the world upside down with the gospel. We're in the final week of a series called Project One where we're looking at where God is taking us as a people like in this season and in the next season to come and we're looking at what it's going to take to get there. And we've called this season project one. And our team has put together these guidebooks um, that talk about who we are as a church, where we're headed, uh, what it's going to take to get there, some initiatives that we have as a church. And, and so if you're here and you don't have one of these, would you just lift up your hand? Because we'd love to get you one. Uh, this says uh, wh- where, who we are, where we're going. Um, it talks about the commitment that we're making together. It has our sermon notes for the whole series and for today in there. So... Nothing to be ashamed of if you forgot yours, didn't bring yours, hadn't been here, whatever. Just lift up your hand and we got people that are going to bring you one of our guidebooks right now. We've called this season Project One because the scripture says there is one God. Not many gods, but, but one God. The Lord said to the nation of Israel through his servant Moses... Here, Israel, the Lord your God is one. There is not many gods, multiple gods. There is one God. And then we learn in the New Testament, there's only one way to have a relationship with this God and to go to heaven when we die. Only one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to heaven except through Paul said it like this. There's only one mediator between you and God. One. I'm not a mediator. There's no priest. There's no pastor. There is no one that is a mediator between you and God. You're not the mediator. There's no saint that's a mediator between you and God. It is Jesus Christ alone, Paul says, that is the one mediator between you and God. Peter said it like this in Acts 4, verse 12, when he was preaching the gospel to the Sanhedrin. He said it like this. Under heaven... There is no name that God has given us. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There is no other name, Peter said, by which you can be saved and made right with this one true God. So there's one God and one name by which we are saved. Paul said it like this, then here, here's the result. Here's the overflow of what this means for you and I if there's one God and one name. That means, he says this in Ephesians 2, that means there is one faith, one family, one Lord, one baptism, one spirit, one father of all, one faith, one family, and one focus, one faith, one, one One family, the the scripture says you Jew and Gentile have been united into one family in Christ. That means no matter who you were before you came to Jesus, whatever identity you claim, whatever background you claim, ethnicity you claim, right? Whatever it was, when you became a Christian, you joined the family of God now and we have been made one in Christ. You and I are brothers and sisters now in Christ if you're a follower of Jesus. And so it's this identity as a family, the family of God, that, that you and I now share is now our primary identity. We, we've been made into one family. And then Jesus told this one faith family, they have one focus. Go into all the world to make disciples of all the nations. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth telling people about me. So this one faith or this one family has one faith and one focus to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to make disciples of all the nations. and so. Here's why we've called this project one, this season, this series project one. Because if there's one God, one name by which we are saved, one faith, one family, one focus, that means there's only one choice. There's only one choice if you're a follower of Jesus, and that's to go all, all in. We're, we go all, all in with one name, one faith, one family, One we're all, all in. It's not some give all or all give some. No, that is impossible in the family of God. It must be If there is one God in one name, there must be, for for, for the follower of Jesus, one choice. I'm all, all in. And so that's what this season has been all about. We've said it's time for a new core group to rise up. To step out in faith and sacrifice and surrender and risk. It's time for a new core group to rise up and stand shoulder to shoulder with our original core group. And that's what Project One is about. If you've missed the last weeks of this series, I'm inviting you. And and, and if you're a part of the city family here, uh, this is your church. I'm challenging you. Get caught up. Like, go on our website. Go on our app. Get caught up up so that you're, you're, on board with us so that, so that like it says in Acts, we can be of one heart and one mind and all on the same page. There's a 12 minute vision video that talks about who we are and, and where we're headed on our website and on our app. So get caught up with the series, watch the vision video. And and here's what we've said all throughout this series, to realize project one, like everything in your guidebook, everything in that vision video, everything that we've been talking about, to, to realize this vision, project one, to live for and to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves and make an eternal impact. It's going to take each of us individually and us corporately together as a church, walking the same path, that Abraham did. And so we've been diving into his life in this series to see how God multiplied his life for eternal significance. And more importantly, we're diving into the path that God led Abraham down in order to multiply his life for eternal significance, because it's the same path that you and I are gonna to have to walk. And it's the same path our church is gonna walk. If we're gonna live for something that's bigger than ourselves. And isn't that what you want? Like, like, my guess is you don't want to get to the end of your life and look back and just think that you occupied space, consumed resources, and paid your bills. Like, like my guess is you, you want to think that at the end of your life, you live for something bigger than you. You, you want to think that you live for a story and a name that is bigger than you. You're going to want to think, I live for a name and a story that was worthy of my time, resources, and money. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the spirit of God living inside of you and it's beating, it is pumping for you to live for a name and a story that is bigger than you. It just is. One, you were created that way. Paul says in Colossians chapter one, you were made by Jesus for Jesus. Like you are on this planet for Jesus, for his name and his renown. Not your name and your renown, not your story, but for his name and for his story. That's why you're on this planet. And if you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, it's moving you and saying, yes, that's why I'm here. That's what I want, to live for his name, to live for his fame, to live for his story. You see, some of us are just living small story kind of lives. We're, we're, we're living boring lives, if you want me to be honest. We're, we're living for the next paycheck, the next drink, the next party, the next vacation, the next sporting event, what, what, whatever it is. Like we live for the, and none of them are bad in and of themselves. No, but when we, when we begin to live for secondary things, when, when we begin to live for things that that really don't make sense in light of eternity. Like when we begin to give ourselves to such a small, boring, insignificant story, we realize, we, we, we find it's, it's not fulfilling. It's, it's not why I'm here. I was created to live for something so much bigger than myself, so much bigger than the next paycheck, so much bigger than the next drink or party or work day. Like you're here for something bigger than that. You're here for a bigger story. You're here for a bigger name, and so I'm just I'm calling that out in us and calling us to that because you have a God-given desire to live for something bigger than you, and it's the glory of God. And prayerfully, hopefully, I'm, I'm pointing. We're, we're I'm pointing my, myself and, and you, God's pointing me and you, like together to live for His name and for His story for something that's so much bigger than you. I, I, I love this picture, and so I've repeated it every week in this series, that, that our hearts, my heart, they, they get out of alignment, just like a car does, and we drift to the left or to the right, and, and to the left, there's self-sufficiency, and to the right, to, to the right there's self-centeredness, like, like we drift just, just naturally, and we need the Holy Spirit of God to come and to reprioritize, like and, like, and realign our hearts to live for something that makes sense in light of eternity. Because it's so tempting to live for such small stories and boring stories. Like, we need the Holy Spirit of God to come and bring realignment to the mission of God, to the glory of God. And we're going to see Abraham doing exactly what we're talking about today. He's going to live for and give himself for something that is bigger than him. He's going to put himself on the line. He's going to risk it all for the glory of God. But Not necessarily for himself. It's going to be about someone else. It's going to be for another people. It's not going to have anything to do with him. No, 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 no. Living for yourself is such a small, boring story. Living for what you can get, that's boring. It's small. No, Abraham is going to plead with God for the sake of another people for someone else. He's gonna live for something. He's gonna put it all on the line for a bigger story, for someone else. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. Turn in your guidebook to week, chapter, or to week five, rather, of our series, all the verses and the fill in the blank. Everything's gonna be there in your guidebook. We haven't been using our app in this series because we've been wanting you to kind of engage with the guidebook, and so it, Follow along there. The verses are gonna be on the screen. That's a great way to engage in our time together. Here's what's happening. Let me update you kind of on where we're at. Genesis chapter 18, three mysterious men have come down to talk with Abraham. They have two purposes for their visit. The first purpose is the good news. They wanna announce to Sarah, Abraham's wife, that she's pregnant. Here's the second reason. It's the bad news, right? Good news first. Bad news second. Secondly, here's the bad news. They intend to destroy two very wicked cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah were notorious not only for their sexual immorality, cruelty, but also their oppression of the poor. And so the three men meet with Abraham and Sarah and they announce Sarah's pregnancy. That's task one. That's the happy part of their journey. That's been completed. But now it's the, it's the bad news And that's where we are at. Chapter 18, verse 16, it says this. Then the men got up from their meal and looked out towards Sodom. As they left, Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Verse 17, though, says this. Should I hide my plan? Like what's about to happen with Sodom and Gomorrah? Should I hide my plan from Abraham? The Lord asked. So real quick, let's stop there. Who who are these mysterious men? Well, at least one of them is God himself. Because look in verse 17, he speaks in the first person. Should I hide my plan from Abraham? The Lord asked. At least one of these men is God himself. Scholars would say they they believe, many believe this is like a theophany. This is one of the first like appearances of Jesus. Oftentimes you see in the Old Testament like these angels and, and sometimes there'll be one that's called the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. And, and scholars believe that is a theophany. It's like this pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And so I believe that that's, that's what's happening here, that Jesus has come down and is talking with Abraham, with these two other angels. Well, the one that is God says this, verse 18. For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed, what's that word? Through him right we said this in week 1 god told abraham i'm going to bless you but through that blessing and with that blessing you're going to bless the rest of the nations so you're going to be a channel of blessing the blessing's not going to end with you and the blessing's not just about you you're going to be a channel of blessing to the nations verse 19 i have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the lord by doing what is right and just then i will do for abraham all that i've promise. So they, they tell Abraham what's about to happen. Verse 22, then the other men turned and head towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. Now, if you remember from previous weeks, Lot, Abraham's nephew lives in Sodom. And so what we're assuming here is that he's thinking about his nephew. Abraham's thinking about his nephew here and and he doesn't want him to be destroyed. So the Lord's there with Abraham. So verse 23, it says, Abraham approached him. Now, Stop there. This word approach in Hebrew is a technical word that means approaching the bench like in a court of law. So in other words, Abraham's about to go to court with God. So Abraham approaches him. He says, will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked, why you would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of, the, of all the earth do what is right? Here, stop right there. Here's, here's what you've got to understand. What, what Abraham is asking God here is why would you judge the wicked and the righteous? Like, you've got to catch what's happening. Abraham realizes and understands and confesses it's perfectly right, for you to judge the wicked. Like that makes sense. Like it is good and right for you to judge the wicked, but, but because you're good and right, because you're a just judge, you're not gonna judge the righteous, but inherent in what Abraham is saying, like don't miss this, he's saying it makes sense. It is both good and right that you judge the wicked. How, how is that both good and right? Because not only is our God infinitely loving and patient and kind and forgiving and merciful, our God is also infinitely holy and righteous and just. And a good judge, a just judge, cannot let wicked evil people go unpunished or he would not be a good and just judge. And so Abraham recognizes here that the wicked deserve the judgment of God. And that's what we'll learn in the New Testament as well. This isn't, you're like, well, that's just Old Testament. No, 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 no. Romans chapter three says, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then Romans six twenty three says, and the wages of our sin is death. You and I are not good people. The Bible says there is no one good, no, not one. And, and, and our attempts at righteousness are doing better and trying harder. They're like filthy rags to God. There is no one good, the Bible says, no, not one. One, And the wages of our sin, our wicked and evil sin in the eyes of a infinitely holy and righteous God is untenable. And so our good and righteous and holy God must punish sin. And so to Abraham, that makes total sense. That God would punish, that he would destroy the wicked, the evil. Verse 26. And the Lord replied, okay, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Then Abraham spoke again, since I've begun, let me speak further to my Lord. Even though I'm but dust and ashes, like I'm not, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. You see the humility here, the the reverence here, the the fear of God here. The scripture says that that wisdom, like the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Suppose, verse 20, suppose there are only 45 righteous people rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five? In other words, like, well, if there's only 45, surely the, that five wouldn't make the difference between destruction and salvation. Abraham's like haggling with God here, like you'd haggle over the price of a car, right? Well, God plays along. I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. Then Abraham pressed his request further. Suppose there's only 40. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of 40. Please please don't be angry. Uh, my, my Lord Abraham pleaded, There it is again, like there's a reverence, there's a there's a fear here. He understands there's some risk here by, by even engaging with God in this conversation. Like he 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 knows what's happening here. And so Don't be angry, Abraham pleaded. Let me speak. Suppose there's only 30 righteous people are found. Anybody got 30, right? 40, 40, 30, right? It's like an auction. Let me hear 40. Let me get 35. Can I get 35? What about 30? Can I get 30, right? he's, He's haggling with the Lord here again. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if I find 30. Then Abraham said, since I have dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there are only 20. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. Suppose there are only 10 found there. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way and Abraham returned to his tent. Two questions and two challenges. First of all, the two questions. Here's the first question. First question is this: Why is Abraham praying for the city in the first place? Why, Abraham? Like, what is the what is the big deal? Like, why do you care about what happens with? This city, like I, I used to think, he was just doing it for for Lot's sake. Like that makes sense. Like he's his nephew. Like to keep God from destroying the city, so so that Lot won't be harmed. Right? Like that that, that makes sense. But but Abraham could have just asked for that directly. He he could have said like, Hey God, I know you need to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Like that makes sense. They're they're a wicked and, and evil people. Like they 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 deserve the judgment of God, just like all of us do. Like I, I get that, but could you just give some time? Like, could you give me some time to get a Lot out first? Like like that makes sense. That like then you can wipe out those disgusting Canaanites and be rid of them for good. But but let's get Lot out first, right? I mean, that makes some sense. That would have been much easier, and honestly, it would have made a lot more sense than what happens here in this passage because. Not only were the people of Sodom really wicked, they had been especially unkind to Abraham personally. Remember, they're they're the ones who kidnapped Lot and and made war with Abraham. But instead of doing that, Abraham stood before God and asked for mercy for the whole city. He he puts himself at risk to do so. Notice how he keeps saying, God, don't be mad, don't don't be angry. I'm I'm just dusting out." He knows he's pushing it, with God. He's putting himself on the line for them. Why? Why is Abraham doing this? Here's why. Because something has happened in Abraham's heart. Like God has done something in Abraham's heart to to the point where he understands that God has chosen him to be a channel of blessing. Not just the blessing ending with him. No, he he understands that the blessing is not just for him. It's for the nations. See what God said in verse 18? I've chosen Abraham so that all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through him. In other words, God shares his plan with Abraham so that he could ask for them to be blessed instead of destroyed. And Abraham understood that. And so Abraham rises up. He steps out in faith. And he steps into who God called him to be. He steps into his identity, his God-given identity. He steps into his God-given destiny as a channel of blessing for the nations. And you might think, and you would be right, but, but they've been unkind to Abraham. They didn't deserve that blessing or Abraham's mercy. Yeah, but... Abraham understood that he had been unkind to God and that he didn't deserve the blessing either. But God had blessed him anyway, even though he had failed God time and time again. So now it just makes sense that he asked for a similar mercy to be shown to Sodom and Gabor. I say that it makes sense. It doesn't make sense unless you see yourself as a recipient of great grace. See, when you see yourself as a recipient of great, great, unfathomable grace, you instinctively develop a desire to see it extended to others. Something has changed in Abraham's heart. He understands his calling to be a channel of blessing. And so that's why he's crying out to God. He's pleading with God. He's interceding with God. He's putting it all on the line. He's putting his life on the line for these people. Because he understands his calling to be a channel of blessing. Second question is this: Why does Abraham stop the negotiations at ten? You ever wondered that? Like why ten? Like as far as negotiations uh, go, Abraham seemed to be on a roll here. He's gotten down from God gotten he's gotten God down from fifty righteous people to ten. So so why stop there? Like any negotiator knows when you sense an opening, like you press as far as you possibly can to get to the lowest price. So why didn't Abraham do that? Why why didn't he haggle God down to one righteous person? Well, evidently, Abraham recognized there was not even one in the city that was righteous enough to have the city spared. So he leaves off the negotiation and Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed. As a favor to Abraham, God warns Abraham's nephew Lot first that he and his two daughters uh, can get out, but then he pours out fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. And this story leaves a question that only the New Testament can answer. Is there no one righteous enough who can plead on behalf of the wicked earth and stay the wrath of God on our behalf? The Hajj is an annual Islamic pilgrimage to Mecca. About three million Muslims a year take this pilgrimage known as The Hajj where they go to the temple square and they circle this black rock called the Ka'aba. And you see the people there, three million a year will make this pilgrimage and they will do this kind of prayer journey, this prayer walk where they hope to get in here into the middle and touch this black rock. They get closer and closer hoping to touch it. The three million Approximately of the best Muslims in the entire world will make this journey each year. And here's what they're doing they're they're praying for forgiveness. And they're hoping, they're, they're praying that at least one in the three million is righteous enough that God will forgive the rest on the basis of that one. That's the prayer. Who is the one? that is righteous enough that can spare the rest from their sin. Who is that one? There's only one. There's only been one ever in the history of the world that has been righteous, that through their own righteousness can cover a people and spare them from the wrath of God. And his name is Jesus. About 750 years before Jesus' birth, Isaiah foretold in great detail the horrors of the cross that the Messiah would suffer on. And he concludes Isaiah 53 with verse 11 saying this, God will see the suffering of his soul and be satisfied. God will see the suffering of his son who stands in our place for our sin, takes on the wrath of God that you and I deserve for our sin. He stands in our place for our sin, meeting all the righteous requirements of the law, the New Testament will say. And because of his suffering, as the wrath of God was poured out on him for your sin and my sin, The prophet Isaiah says the Lord will be satisfied. It will satisfy the wrath of God for your sin and my sin. For all of Jesus' brothers and sisters who have by faith reached out and touched him. That have believed that, that Jesus died in their place for their sin, rose again three days later, conquering sin, conquering the grave. Romans 3 says that when you believe that Jesus sacrificed his life on that cross, shedding his blood for you, when you believe, not when you've done better, not when you've tried harder, but when you believe, when you give your life to Jesus, when you reach out and touch him, that the scripture says that by faith, when you trust in Jesus, that you're now hidden in Christ and Christ is in you Christ is in you and you're hidden in Christ. And so when the Lord looks at you he doesn't see your sin. No, he sees the righteousness of Christ and he is satisfied. There is one who is righteous enough and who has died in your place for your sin. That can cover all those who reach out and touch him. All those who come to him. And so if you've never given your life to Jesus before, today is the day. Now is the time. Give your life to Jesus. Reach out to him and you can be saved of your sin and made right with God and know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. Not when you've done better, not when you've tried harder. But you give your life to Jesus. And then Christ is in you and you're in him. And that one righteous person whose sacrifice was so immensely satisfying to God. We can be forgiven of our sin and God will give us his righteousness. And not only that, we then as followers of Jesus, we we plead for him to extend that same mercy that we've received to even the most wicked of sinners. And God will hear that prayer because of his son who satisfied the righteous requirements of the law and whose suffering satisfied the Lord our God. Two challenges. What what does this mean for us? You and I have been placed in a similar situation as Abraham. So so what does this mean for us? Well, Well, number one, God has called you to a circle and a city. He's called you to a circle of family members, friends, coworkers, and neighbors. He's called you to that circle for a purpose. He's called you to that city that you live in for a purpose. God has called you to a city and a circle for a purpose. Each of us has been placed into a community to pray and sacrifice on its behalf. God placed you in that family, in that community, so that you could ask for blessing and mercy for others there. That was his intention in putting you where he did. Acts chapter 17, verse 26, Paul explains that God predetermined God predetermined. Before you were ever born, God predetermined, it says this, the allotted periods and boundaries of people's dwelling places. But before you were ever born, He determined the boundaries of your dwelling place. That's your home. He predetermined it. And it says this, so that, so here's the purpose, so that they might learn to seek God. In other words, God has sovereignly arranged where people live so that other people might seek him. So my kids on their team, your kids on their teams, at, at their school, like you, you in your job, at, in your neighborhood, like wherever God has placed you, it's, it's bigger than anything you could have possibly imagined. Like God sovereignly has placed you there on that team on that club and that class with that those teammates like with those coworkers, with those neighbors like we, we we've talked about this in our family before like because we play baseball and football and we, we go to school and we have jobs and we do all these different we're at the schools that we're at like it's bigger than baseball it's bigger than football it's bigger than cheerleading it's bigger than your paycheck like. Those things are great and fine, but your story there in that place is bigger than anything you could have possibly imagined. God has sovereignly put you where he put you. The home that you're in, he he predetermined the boundaries of your dwelling place. Like that specifically for a purpose, for a reason. Do you see people in your circle that way? Like in your family, your friends, your coworkers, or your neighbors, like are you are you praying for them in that way? Like, do you understand? It's it's bigger than your paycheck. It's it, it, it's it's so much bigger. Like the the, the paycheck, the, the, the money, the, the the sport, like there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. But we don't live for those things. Those are secondary things that would be boring to live for. It's so much bigger than that. God has placed you in that family, in that community, at that workplace, on that team, that school, to pray for and give and sacrifice on their behalf. That's why God has placed us in this community as a church. It's our divine destiny to step into this place of being a channel of blessing. He put us here to bless Lubbock and the nations with the gospel. Our our placement here is proof that he wants to extend mercy to them. Your, your placement on that team, in that job, in that school, wh- whatever it is, your place, your, your being there, just being there is proof that God wants to extend mercy to the people around you. And like Abraham, you're, you're, you're being called, we, as a, we are called to step into that identity, that, that calling to be a channel of blessing. And so that means we, we owe them our labors. We owe them our faith. We owe them our sacrifices. It's not that they deserve it. It's not that we're obligated to them personally. Any more than Sodom deserved Abraham's grace, we owe it to Jesus. Romans 1.14 says this, Paul called himself a debtor to all those who have never heard the gospel. Paul said, I'm a debtor to everyone who's never heard about Jesus. I am in their debt. What did Paul owe them? He never even met most of them. We well, see there's two different ways you can be a debtor. The first way is the most way, the, the the most common way most of us think about it. Like someone loans you money, a bank, a credit card, or whatever, so you owe them. But but there's another way you can be a debtor. You're dead broke and hopeless, and somebody generously pours out riches on you more than you could ever use in your entire lifetime, and then says to you, "My only requirement." is that you share this with others whom you encounter who are similarly destitute. Well, at that point, you owe all of your wealth to those people, not because of them, but because of your benefactor. Your benefactor who has blessed you has said, I've blessed you in these ways. So that you might be a channel of blessing. And so it's in that way. It's with that kind of debt that Paul's talking about. We're we're in debt to those who've never heard the good news about Jesus. See, Paul knew that for no reason at all, God had chosen him to be blessed by the gospel. Paul was no more worthy than other sinners. He didn't have more potential. It was pure grace. In fact, Paul said he was the chief of sinners. He was the worst of sinners. And yet God, by his mercy, has blessed me with the gospel. And so Paul realized that meant he owed something to people who had never heard the gospel, who, who were no more unworthy than he was. And that's how we are. There's no special reason why God saved you. God didn't say, you well, you're more sp- special than the next person, or, or you were more spiritual, than, or you got a little bit more together than another person, or you've got more potential than another. No, 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 no. It's not that your sin wasn't as bad as someone else's sin. That's not why God has blessed you with the God. It's just pure grace. It's pure mercy alone. You did nothing to earn your right standing with God. You did nothing to earn hearing the gospel. It's just God in his grace and in his mercy. God didn't save you because there's something special about you. No, he saved you because he loves you. He saved you because he's gracious. He saved you because he's merciful, not because we deserved it. No, make no mistake. We are Sodom in this story. We're not Abraham. Jesus is the greater Abraham. We're we're Sodom in the story. And Jesus has interceded for us. He he, he has asked God to to spare the wicked because of his own righteousness. and, And because he, the righteous, voluntarily died in the place of us, the wicked. Sodom. And because God answered his prayer, we owe our efforts and our generosity to everyone else. David Platt, great author and pastor here in our country. He he said this, every saved person, this side of heaven owes the gospel. Romans 1 14, I'm I'm in debt to those who have never heard. Owes the gospel to every unsaved person, this side of hell. We're in debt because God has blessed us with the gospel that means we are a channel of blessing to those who have never heard. You see, your life looks different when you're a debtor. If you're past due on a debt to a credit card company for $100,000, you don't get to go spend $5,000 on shopping or, or a vacation. Like your obligation to them trumps your own freedom. And so at the City Church, we are under obligation to Lubbock and to the nations, the unreached people groups around the world, And so the question is no longer like, how much can I get? No, it's, what am I not giving out of my time, money, and resources, and and why? Because we're under obligation. I read about a South African pastor that said the mission statement of his church was simply, people without Jesus go to hell. What more needs to be said? That was the mission statement. Second question is this. We can have confidence in our calling. We've been called to a city... We've been called to a circle for a purpose, for a reason. God has sovereignly placed us there to be a channel of blessing. That's our calling. And we can have confidence in this calling. We, We can pray and give expectantly because of the worthy sacrifice of Jesus. You see, unlike Abraham, we know that there is one who has been counted righteous enough to spare the city, no matter how wicked, And on his behalf, because the righteous died in the place of the wicked, he commands us now to ask boldly in his name. And then when we do that, the father promises he's going to hear it. Psalm 2 verse 8 says this, Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. He's talking to his Messiah here, to the anointed one. He's saying, ask of me the Lord saying to the son, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. And so that's a promise that we pray back to God in for Jesus, because we're living for a name that's bigger than ours. And we're saying, God, you have promised the nations to Jesus. And so like Abraham stepping into that calling to be a channel of blessing, we're we're not praying selfishly, like for ourselves. No, no, we're praying on behalf of other people. We're praying for the sake and fame of Jesus. God, give him the nations as you have promised. Like that's the, that's the potential that we have in our, that's the calling that, that God is asking for us to step into, to intercede, to plead on behalf of a circle of a, of a city, just like Abraham did. You see, we have one that is so worthy that on his behalf, God will extend mercy to our neighbors and to our city and to the nations. God has made a promise that the sons of Abraham would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so we can ask with confidence because Jesus died to bring that to fulfillment. He died not so a group of scared Christians could huddle together and hang on until he returns or or so that we could play church. No, he died so that we could go boldly in his name to every people group in every place to tell them about Jesus. And he told us the gates of hell couldn't stop us. And so we can't ask for too much. God put us here at this time for this purpose. One focus to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel, to make disciples of Jesus all over the world. And so we need to ask and dream big because of Jesus's worthy sacrifice. John Newton, who's famous for writing the great hymn, Amazing Grace, wrote another hymn with a tune that's a little goofy. And so most churches don't Sing it, but, but here are some of the words. I, I love it. He said this, "Thou art coming to a king, so with thee, with the Lord God, large petitions bring. But not for that money or that car. It's not about us. The calling is to be the channel of blessing. And so there's this inherent calling on the people of God. That's being implied here that we're gonna care more about getting the gospel to the ends of the earth than my own comfort and safety. Thou art coming to a king, so with thee, large petitions bring for his grace and power are such none can ever ask too much. We're asking for the nations, we're asking for our family members, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, we're asking for our city. And God invites us to to haggle with him, to plead in Jesus' name at the bench of his throne room, to to put before him the, the one name that God will never turn down, and that's the name of his son, Jesus. So let me ask you, who's that one person? Who's that family member? Who's that community, that nation that if you took this promise seriously, you would pray for, give for, sacrifice for? You see, what we're doing in this season, in this Project One season, matters. It matters because by believing God, we can change the eternities of other people, like in our city, in our country, and among the nations. Like, what we are doing can change the world. Like, it can turn the world upside down, just like it was said of the early church in the book of Acts. And so, because Abraham followed, you're here. Who's going to point to you and say, because he followed, because she followed, I'm I'm here because Abraham trusted God. You're here. Who's going to point to you and say, because they trusted God, I'm here because Abraham prioritized God and surrendered and believed God for big things. Who's going to point to you and say, because they prioritized God because they gave it all because he or she believed God. Like I'm here. You see, like Abraham, you and I are called to live for something bigger than ourselves. And living for something bigger than yourself requires praying for, sacrificing for, and giving to something bigger than yourself. And so that leads us to this card. This card is an expression of us offering ourselves to God like Abraham did. Of us standing in the gap, of us pleading and and sacrificing for and giving for other people because we're, we're a channel of blessing. It represents that we're all, all in. And so like David in First Chronicles 29, because we're all, all in, we're gonna, we're gonna give our all. And there's a lot of us who've already gone, like we've already committed. See, a couple of weeks ago, we, we gathered together, our leaders, our volunteers, a lot of our core people for what we called Advanced Commitment Night. And, and I don't know if you know this, but when, when David built the temple or when he raised money for the temple back in First Chronicles 29, the kings and the priests and the leaders went first. And they gave first and then the rest of the people came and gave. And so many of our leaders from the city church gathered together here that night in worship and in prayer. And we've already made our commitments first prior to the rest of us going and doing it this weekend. And let me tell you, I'm blown away by the sacrifices and generosity of those people. And we're praying that 100% of us are gonna take that step with them. That's, that's, the, that's the primary goal in this season, for 100% of us to participate, for us all to be all in. Not, not, not some gave all or all gave some, but for us all to be all in. And so I wanna show you a few snapshots of what's going on in these people's hearts. It's not about the number, it's about what's going on in your heart behind the number. So, so check out some of these stories in this video. What we're doing tonight it matters. It says a lot about what's going on in our hearts. And we need we need God to come and do something in us. If he's going to do something through us. And so as we look at these at these cards we understand, we, we recognize that these cards represent huge steps of faith in many of your lives. As we commit to generosity, maybe in ways we haven't before, but, but it also matters in changing the eternities of people in Lubbock and beyond, reaching them with the hope, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we're doing here tonight matters.
6: So the Project One commitment for us just means going all in for our church family and doing what we felt led to do for a place that we've found a home. It means we are excited about seeing City Church move forward. We believe in what God has called us to do and we're all in. This commitment means to me that I'm putting God first in my life and I'm trusting Him with everything.
0: Project one means to us just that we're gonna start putting God first um, in every facet of our life.
4: It means that we're trusting God as we give sacrificially for the future of our church and for the families to come.
6: After a really tough year um, of hard things, this commitment means stepping out in faith and trusting God again.
3: Um, you know, I've never felt so invested in the Lord and in the church, in my life. And uh, I just feel it's time for me um, to get my all in and uh, just fully commit to Him.
2: With
5: us, to stand with them, to stand with countless millions of people who have gone before us, all throughout church history. They've stepped out in faith and sacrifice and risked it all for the sake of the gospel, for the name of Jesus. Again, our primary goal is that 100% of us, all of us are all in, that we'd have a life changing encounter with Jesus that that changes our our hearts. that's That's the primary goal. But then out of the overflow of that, devotion to the Lord, that love for God. He, he does something in us and that, that always results in then him doing something through us. And so let me just point out a few mechanics. Like if you'll take out your commitment card, like the, the point here is not filling out all these blanks. This is just a, a worksheet for you. Like if you need it, the, the, there's two really important like boxes here. One, one is if you have a, a stored resources amount, like a one-time gift thing that, that, that you want to give. And then adding that into your, your total two-year project one commitment. This is this is a two-year commitment that represents your total generosity to the city church over these next two years. It's not like over and above, get, just give, like, that's not what it is. It's like whatever you're going to give over the next two years, we're, we're wanting that middle box there in the orange that says my total two-year project one commitment. We're wanting that box to represent your, your total giving, not just, the extra, it's not just above and beyond. And in whatever that number ends up being like, it should represent your first and best. Like Abel, we're we're gonna give God the first and best of what he's given us and then trust him to provide. It should represent your acknowledgement. that, That like Abraham, we see the resources of our lives as seed that God has given us to multiply for his kingdom. It should represent total surrender to God. And for some of you, I know it's going to be the very first time you've ever committed to something like this or or, or given to a church at all. And I, I'm so happy for you that you're taking these steps of faith and honoring God with this area of your life. For others of you, you're choosing to no longer just give out of excess. You're going to maybe been tithing for years, but today you're, excited, you're deciding that God's going to get your first and best. And that you see what he's giving you as a seed to be multiplied for his kingdom. It's my prayer that every single one of us in this room, we we look down at our cars and we know that this is what sacrificial generosity looks like for you. And that this commitment reflects your obedience to the promptings of the Holy Spirit of God. And so our our band's going to play for a few minutes. We're going to give you a few moments to think and pray and write. If you're here with your spouse, to, to chat with your spouse, talk with them about it. If you're, here and you went to advanced commitment night already. Like, I just want to remind you, you're, you're coming forward again. Might be the same number. It might've changed since then, who knows? But we're going to give you a few moments to think and pray and write. My, my prayer, my hope is if you've been with us throughout this series and, and you've, you've been catching up when you're gone, like, like you're ready. And so the challenge is going to be for those of you who are ready come and to bring your commitment card and put it in this tank. It represents going from death to life. It represents new life in Christ. It represents people's lives being changed with the gospel. So take a few minutes and then I'll come back up and give you more instruction here in just a moment. Before we make our commitments, I wanted to take a second and and just let you hear kind of another side to a story I've told over and over and over again. And that's the story of when my heart began to change about planting a church because my my wife one day told me, hey, I think you need to pray about this. And I've told that story a lot. I I tell it in every membership lunch. I've told it a lot um, because it was in a very important moment in our lives and the history of our church. But I wanted you to hear it from her perspective and, and why she told me what she did that day.
6: Uh, yeah, so probably I guess four and a half years ago, um, you know, at the time we were we were not in corporate uh, worship in a in a church family. We had been in ministry for about 16 years at that point, and um, I grew up in church. We're in ministry for 16 years in a in a in a spiritual family, and for the first time in my life, we had not had that. And I don't know what we were talking about in the kitchen that day, but. At, I think the word that I used, I mean, of course I was like bawling. I I said, I think our family is drowning. I think we are, we're missing something. We are, um, we're just kind of floating. I I didn't really feel like we were all moving in one direction spiritually. Not that there was anything, you know, horrible going on, but there was just, there was something that was not there for our family. And I, I had talked to so many other families who kind of felt that way, just lost Um, kind of felt abandoned like they didn't have a landing spot for their family Um, and that's where that I mean I would love to say that I just really um, cared about all of you so much that I wanted to thought we should start a church but it's it was really a personal like need for our own family that we we were lacking something so big and you know the city started and I felt like God answered such a huge prayer for our own family and And now there's so many families here today that I feel like God has done work in and we have become a big spiritual family. And it's so exciting to think about now, like moving forward together, there's so many families who still need that, that big spiritual family. They still are missing the hope and the community of believers that meet together. And we all get to be a part of bringing that to more people, that hope um, that I, we needed. Um, and I think you guys probably needed um, that we get to be a part of bringing that to people moving forward. So it's super exciting to see how God answered that prayer, not just for our own family, but now all of us together, we get to keep doing that moving forward. Our worship team is going
5: to start to play. We're going to ask you to stand here in just a second and then... When you're ready, we're gonna invite you to come and put your card in this baptism tank. And so I'm gonna pray, we're gonna stand, we're gonna worship God, and we're gonna commit and covenant together to step into this next season. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just stir up a devotion for you, a love for you. Just like David talked about in 1 Chronicles 29, he said, out of my devotion for the Lord and for his people and for his purposes. I'm gonna give my all. And so, God, I pray that you would stir up in us a devotion for you, a a devotion for the people to the people of God, a devotion for the purposes of God that that would be so meaningful, God, that, that it leads to us the overflow out of that is that you do something through us and we and we give our all. And so, God, would you would you stir up that devotion? in us. Would you, would you stir up in us a passion for living for a name and a story that's actually worthy of our time and money and resources? that we would loosen our grip on the things of this world, on these boring stories, and we would take hold of that which you created us for, that the glory of God to live a life that makes sense in light of eternity. And God, I'm just so excited about our church doing that and coveting together, saying that's what we're gonna be about, a name and a story that is bigger than us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand? and worship with us. And as you feel led, you can come and drop your card in this tank.